Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's Focus for Saturday, November the 4th, 2023, at 10.37 a.m. Central Time. Today's Focus, once again, it is Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. I'm not sure if anyone else is as interested in this text as I have been. I am interested in it, and maybe, maybe it's, maybe you could argue that it's pride. You could argue that it's ego. I don't think it's pride or ego. At least I don't think so. But this is one of those situations where I happened to pick up the historical lectionary, and I, I started going through the lectionary, realizing that this week they've been in Luke chapter 14. And when I look at the lectionary and I'm like, oh, the gospel reading is Luke 14, and it's one through six. I'm like, hmm, what what would I do with that? If I was preaching that or teaching that, what would I do with that, right? So I've just been looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, trying to figure out what to do. We did kind of a, a brief today's focus on Luke 14. We didn't really make it one through six. We made it Luke chapter 14, verse one. So there's still a lot of things I want to to talk about and try to work through. Hopefully you'll find it to be beneficial. Now, remember, I'm doing this for today's focus. So on one hand, that gives me a little bit more freedom, a little bit more leeway, right? Because I'm not here saying here, I'm going to give you a clear teaching What I'm supposed to do for today's focus is like, hey, there's a million distractions out there. Focus on this today. So I've tried to get all of you to focus in on Luke chapter 14, and we're going to return to Luke 14 because I'm still processing processing and thinking about it. In fact, the gospel reading for yesterday, I think it's yesterday, maybe it's today. Let me look here. Um, Is it Luke? (laughs) I, I'm, it's all blurring together for me really quick. Let me look really quick. Let me look really quick. The, uh, the reading for today, hang on, is, it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong date here. It is, it is Luke chapter 14. It is Luke 14. I, for some reason, I was thinking it was the day before. The, all time begins to run together. The gospel reading and the historical lectionary for today is Luke chapter 14, verse 1 again. And then it continues the story in verses 7 through 11. So really Luke 14 verses 1 through 11, we could could refer to this as Jesus comes to dinner. Jesus comes to dinner and, and there are at least two major issues that Jesus addresses as he's having this meal. And he's having this meal with a Pharisee. If you'll look at Luke chapter 14 verse 1, Luke chapter 14, verse 1, this is what we spent our last broadcast on, our last today's focus, and I'm going to go back to it again. Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread. So Jesus goes into one of the, the house of a chief Pharisee to eat bread and from that, we started, I started asking lots of questions. So I will return to some of those questions. I know, I know most people probably wouldn't spend much time on the eating with the Pharisee. They probably would have just been like, okay, you ate with a Pharisee. Now what happened? Oh, okay. Then they had this conversation about this issue. And then they talked about this issue. There's two real big issues here, right? One issue is what can or can you not do on the Sabbath? And then the other issue is, where should you sit 
when you're invited to a meal or invited to a function. So what can or can you not do on the Sabbath? And where can you sit? Now, we, we have to ask ourselves just immediately, and in fact, we could read through this, uh, and I'll probably will be talking about this tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church. Is Jesus here just addressing practical matters during this meal? Is Jesus there to say, hey guys, we need to talk about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, and let's talk about when you do get invited to a function where you should or shouldn't seat or sit. Where should you, where should you or shouldn't you sit when invited to a function? Is Jesus there to give practical advice on what you can and can't do on the Sabbath and where you should sit? Where, 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 where should you look for when you're like, where is my seat? Where should you sit? Uh, is that, is that what Jesus is doing? Or somehow in these discussions about what you can and can't do for the Sabbath and where you should sit, is there something, is Jesus pointing to something far more spiritual? That's kind of the challenge here in this text. But I'm still focused on why is he eating with a Pharisee? I'm still focused on that a little bit. So let's spend some time going back over some things that we kind of talked about in, in part one. And then today, for today's focus, we'll try to advance this a little bit and see if we can flesh this out a little bit more and do a little bit more work on this. Are, are you ready? I, I I hope, look, I know, I know of all the things you could listen to, you're like, I was listening to a podcast where they just spent the time talking about Jesus eating with Pharisees. I know, ridiculous. Let's, let's, he, he should have done something more with the text, but hey, I'm, that's just, you know. That, that's that's why you listen to different things, because you hear different things, different perspectives. So here we go. I'm going to read it again. Luke chapter 14. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread. That That's, that's really what I want you to focus on. Now, as we have seen in the gospel of Luke, there are a few instances where Jesus ate with the Pharisees. Here are some examples. Now, this time we're going to read these examples in far greater detail. The first one is in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This is not the, in Luke 14, it's not the first time that Jesus has had a meal with the Pharisees. I think the first one, I could be wrong, but I believe the first one is in Luke chapter 7, and we start in verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, one of the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it. He spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now, please note, the Pharisee, just, just please note, the Pharisee can see her sin. He can't see his sin. He can see her sin, but he can't see his own. Now, I, 
I think it's a practical question here. It's not really the focus, but at this meal, the, the first record, the first instance of Jesus having a meal with a Pharisee, what we see is that the Pharisee can see everyone else's sin better than he, he's more aware and can see everyone else's sin better than he can see his own. In fact, he's kind of question, he's already questioning Jesus. If Jesus, if he really was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. So he's questioning Jesus. He's questioning the woman. The one thing he's not questioning is himself. So from a very practical standpoint this Saturday, what we can ask ourselves is this, which are you more prone to do? Which are you better equipped to do? See everyone else's sin or see your own? Are you, are you, are you so fast to go, what about them? And what about that? And what about that? Or, or maybe, maybe before you start pointing fingers and start saying, oh, if he was really a prophet and oh, she's that, she's that great sinner that we all know about. Maybe instead of doing that, you first see your own sin. Here's the rule. Here's the rule I think we should follow is before we can point out anyone else's sin, we need to remind ourselves and once again, remind ourselves and acknowledge our own sin. Before you point at anybody else, before you start condemning, judging, gossiping, slandering, first take a few minutes to recount your own sin. And I think the more you get better, I think the better you get at recounting your own sin, the less worried you're going to be about everyone else. Now, typically we get mad at other people's sins if, 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 if they negatively impact us. If they negatively impact us, oh man, we go in. We're going to go after them, right? And sometimes we just go after other people's sins because it makes us feel feel better about ourselves. A lot of times it, it, it really, the, 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 our are going after someone else's sin sometimes says more about us than it does them. See, this Pharisee that Jesus came to eat with, he's, he's already going after Jesus and he's, he's already condemning this woman. And then look at what happens in verse 40. All right, here we go. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned uh, to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My, uh, my head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little." And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with, with him began to say with themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So at the first time Jesus came to dinner at a Pharisee's house, what he tried to demonstrate, the lesson he tried to teach is the person whose sins, who 
whose sins are forgiven, the person who has great sins and they are forgiven, they tend to be the one who loves more. In fact, as he says, he said it this way. Um, where did he say it? Uh, to, uh, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little. For the, for the, the person who is forgiven much loves much. The per- person who's forgiven little, well, loves little. Now, I think the issue here is there was plenty that that Pharisee needed forgiveness for. There is plenty in your life that you need forgiveness for. The point is, if you are so self-righteous, so blind to your own sin, then you won't see how great of sin that you need to be forgiven of and how great of sin you have been forgiven of in Christ Jesus. So therefore, if you don't recognize how great of sin you've been forgiven, then you will only love little. So there he tries to teach this concept to the Pharisee that invited him to this house for this meal in in Luke 7 about the concept of, well, acknowledging your own sin. Seeing and the person who can acknowledge their sin and see their sin and willing to acknowledge it, they will be forgiven and listen, they will love much. Now, there's a lot we can talk about that, but I just want you to see there's a there's kind of a Jesus comes here, something happens and he uses it as an opportunity to speak to the person he's having a meal with about something far greater than, well, the weather. He's talking about something of great significance. We could take that lesson apart. But that's not the point. That's the first time Jesus had a meal. The second time is in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said, and the Lord said unto him, now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but you inward part is full of ravening, of ravening and wickedness. You fools do, do not he that made what it, what, let me read that again. Luke eleven forty. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. Uh, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats and the synagogues and greetings in the, in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not and, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. All right. Uh, and then he goes, well, it goes from, goes from 37 all the way down to 54. It goes from 37 all the way to 54. Um, yeah. Okay. All the way. We could go all the way down to 54. Let's just read all of it then. Let's just read all of it. Then answered one of the lawyers said unto him, Master, 
thus saying, thou reproachest us also. And, and he said, woe unto you also, you law- lawyers, for you laid men with burdens, grievous to be born, and you yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchers of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their sepulchers. Therefore also said the, uh, wi- the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and pers- per- persecute that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, um, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You enter not in yourselves and them that were entering in you you hindered. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him and to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. So in the first instance, in the first time Jesus came to dinner with a Pharisee, he, he tries to show the Pharisee, hey, the person who's forgiven much, they love much. The person who's forgiven little, they love little. And because the Pharisee can't recognize or even see his own sin, but he can see everyone else's sin. So we, we get a practical lesson there. Then here, really what's happening, we go back to verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. So once again, he, he eats with a Pharisee. And the Pharisee immediately, though, sees what someone else is doing. The Pharisee, once again, cannot see his own sin, his own weakness, his own failure. He immediately goes after, hey, what are you doing? You're not, you're not following this tradition. You're not doing it the right way. And immediately... Jesus says, now, now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Immediately, Jesus is like, you're worried about me washing my hands, but what about what's going on inside of you? And he offers all these examples of what, of their motivations and, 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 and how their actions really demonstrate what's going on on the inside of them. He once again goes after this this almost hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So we have those two instances. But once again, I want you to see Jesus is eating with them. But in every case, he uses it as an opportunity to have these very important, deep conversations, which in some cases seems to provoke even greater animosity and maybe even greater hatred for Jesus. Now, that brings us to the one that we've been looking at, Luke 14. Luke chapter 14. And Luke chapter 14, once again, we have the same kind of situation developing. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. Now, does that indicate in your mind that they brought, invited Jesus in to eat what's it, to look for an opportunity for Jesus to do something or say something that they could use against him? 
Did, did they bring him in out of the goodness of their heart, out of love, out wanting to understand him? Or did they bring him in to try to trap him, to try to see what he would do? Now, this once again raises the question, why did he, Jesus eat with Pharisees? And, and I offered some possible options. Does, is he demonstrating love for his enemy? Well, we, when we think about meals in that culture, in biblical times, sharing a meal with someone held significant social and cultural importance. Here are a few reasons why eating a meal with someone was significant during that period. Number one, fellowship and communion. Eating a meal together was a way to foster fellowship and community. It symbolized a sense of unity, shared values, and belonging. It was an opportunity to build and strengthen relationships with family, friends, and even strangers. But I don't know if fellowship and communion is their goal here. I don't think so. Maybe I don't know. Do you think maybe the first time? I don't know. Do you? I mean, see, the problem is we can do a lot of trying to second guess their motives. Did they first invite Jesus in or want to eat with him because his fame was growing and they wanted to be a part of this new thing? Did they bring him in because of a little bit of curiosity? But clearly it seems at some point that whenever they have a meal with him, he's being set up in that phrase there at the end of chapter four, uh, 14, verse 1, that they watched him. I'm going to look at it in a different translation. A different translation has it this way. Um, they were watching him closely. To me, that just demonstrates Jesus. They, they weren't there for fellowship and community. It seems that at least in Luke 14, they're there. To, what is he going to do now? What is he going to say now? A- another reason eating a meal was significant during this period, hospitality and generosity. Inviting someone to share a meal was seen as an act of hospitality and generosity. It demonstrated uh, care, kindness, and provision for others. Offering food and drink to guests or visitors was considered a sacred duty and a way to show respect and honor. Now, were, were they inviting him in? Again, I, I, I hate to do this, but... Could they have been doing something that was supposed to show hospitality and generosity, but they were doing it for their own self-advancement? If Jesus' fame was growing in the region, if Jesus was, if Jesus was, uh, everyone was talking about him, for to have a meal with him would have been somewhat significant. But I don't see hospitality and generosity, right? We saw in Luke 7, that would not... If he really was a prophet. And then, and then the second time, wait, 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 he's, he's not washing his hands. What is he doing? And then even here, they're watching him closely. Is this where, once again, remember Jesus already just, and, and, and that, and that passage that we looked at in Luke 11, he goes after them for their external actions, not matching any internal reality. Third, a third reason meals at this time were important was symbolism of acceptance and friendship. In many cultures, sharing a meal was seen as a sign of acceptance, friendship, and trust. Eating together indicated a willingness to be in each other's company and a desire for mutual support and goodwill. Once again, I don't think that was the case. I don't think this was a symbol of acceptance and friendship. They were there for a 
a, an ulterior motive. They were there for a, a different reason. Have you ever been invited to a meal and you realize quickly that someone seems to have an ulterior motive and why they invited you? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Now, sometimes you walk away, maybe you're thinking that their motive was, uh, there was an ulterior motive and maybe you were wrong. But in, in, in every case with the Pharisees, Jesus goes and it just seems that they're, if, if it's not their, if it wasn't their original plan, it almost immediately always falls into, look at what is he doing? What is he saying? Look at what he's doing. I mean, they get very upset and mad at him. And here in Luke 14, they're watching him. They're watching him closely. That, that just seems to me it, that they're looking for something. So I don't know if it's about uh, acceptance and friendship. Another thing that made meals significant at this time, covenant and bonding. Sharing a meal could also signify the establishment or uh, reaffirmation of a covenant or agreement between individuals or groups. In some instances, uh, important decisions or promises were made over a meal, uh, solidifying the relationship and commitment. Well, there's no co- there's no covenant and bonding going on here. There's there's <laughs> there's nothing going on like that in these cases. Another thing was religious and spiritual significance. Another thing that made meals significant. Meals often had religious or symbolic significance. Offerings and sacrifices were made to gods and communal meals were part of religious rituals and celebrations. These meals were seen as an act of worship and thanksgiving to God. Bottom line is, bottom line is, there was lots of very important cultural reasons, significant reasons to have a meal together. But any of those supposed reasons for having the meal, it seems in every situation, even if those things existed for a moment, they were gone. And the Pharisees were like, ulterior motives? And all they could, it seems that all the Pharisees could do was constantly see everyone else's shortcomings, everyone else's failures, but they could not see their own. It Put it this way, it's obvious they did not look to Jesus as a source of mercy or forgiveness because they didn't seem to think they needed any mercy or forgiveness. They did not love him much because they didn't think they needed to be forgiven of anything. Jesus is here having this meal and they're watching him. Now, please note, it's on the Sabbath day. So it's on the Sabbath day. He comes in and they're watching him. Are are they watching him specifically to see if he's going to do something that violates not only a Sabbath rule, but all the rules they added? Now, remember, there was the Sabbath law given in the Old Testament, which was serious but they had come and added countless rules to try to keep you from breaking the Sabbath. They would have argued that their motivations were pure, but in reality, it just placed so much burden and it, and it ultimately probably made everyone guilty in some way, shape or form. So when it came to pass, as he went into the house as one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Let's remind ourselves, Jesus didn't just have meals with the Pharisees. Remember Mark 2.16? Remember Mark 
Mark 2.16, we read these words. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, once again, they don't see the, the Pharisees, it's the scribes and Pharisees. Once again, they're like, look at it. He's eating with sinners. They, when he, they, when he eats with them, they don't think he's eating with the sinner. They cannot see their own. Look, this is the, we're seeing a theme emerge here. The scribes and the Pharisees cannot see their own sin. They're unaware. But but Jesus, I want to make it clear. He not only ate with, with Pharisees and scribes, he ate with sinners. Well, let me just make it clear. He always ate with sinners because everyone is a sinner. It's just the sinners seem to know they were sinners. And the scribes and Pharisees seem to not understand the depth of their own sin. We see the same thing in Luke. Uh, that was uh, Mark 2.16. Look at Luke 5.30. You see the same thing. This is earlier in Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. Luke chapter 5, verse 30. You read these words, Luke 5.30. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Why do you eat with publicans and sinners? They, no, and look here. This is... Um, the, the, scri uh, uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples. Even The scribes and Pharisees even go to his disciples like, what are you guys doing? Why do you eat with these sinners? Why? Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees could not see. And here in Luke 14, this is what we, all of this is taking place around a meal. This is all going on around a meal on the Sabbath, but they're there to watch him. It's They're watching closely. Maybe it's curiosity. I think they're there to see if he's going to do something wrong. And it seems like right on cue, right on cue, Jesus, know, it's almost like he knows why he is there. He knows that it's a setup. Now you could argue, we could argue, does, what, does Jesus, I, 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 we talked about this in part one, so I, I'm, I kind of, I don't want to just keep repeating it, but I think it's a, it's a question we have to ask ourselves. Sometimes in these historical narratives, we have to ask ourselves, is just just descriptive or it's prescriptive? It's a prescribing something. When it comes to you and I, is this prescribing how we are to handle our enemies, those who would persecute us? And we know we're supposed to love them. We know we're supposed to bless them. So do we, are, are, do we, is Jesus demonstrating love for his enemy by having a meal with them? But at the same time, it also demonstrates when we are having a meal with someone who may be out to get us, do we then look for every opportunity to speak of that which is spiritual? Because that's what the people need. So I don't know how much we, we, we take as prescribing exactly how we're supposed to act, but it does. I think, I think Jesus is showing love and compassion by having a meal with them. But at the same time, he seems to also look for an opportunity to use the meal as an ability to speak to that, which is of far greater significance. I don't know. You can, you can draw your own conclusions about that. There's more we could say, but look what happens. Verse two. And behold, there was a certain man before him, which had the dropsy. D-R-O-P-S-Y. So there's someone there who has the dropsy. What in the world 
is that? What is dropsy? Well, dropsy is also known as edema. It is a condition characterized by the accumulation of excess fluid in the body's tissues, leading to a swelling. In biblical times, dropsy was often understood as a general term for various types of swelling and fluid retention. It could be caused by several underlying medical conditions, such as heart failure, kidney disease, liver disease, or certain infections. Now, those who listen to this program who are more medically qualified than I am, you can tell me where I am messing up there. But let me go through just some basic things again. Dropsy is also known as an edema. It is a condition characterized by the accumulation of excess fluid in the body's tissues, leading to a swelling. In biblical times, dropsy was often understood as a general term for various types of swelling and fluid retention. It can be caused by several underlying medical conditions, such as heart failure, kidney disease, liver disease, or certain infections. In the New Testament, we just read it, there is a mention of a person with dropsy in Luke 14. Jesus encounters a man with dropsy at the house of a Pharisee on the Sabbath. It is noteworthy that this passage does not provide specific details about the man's condition or the cause of the dropsy. Instead, it focuses on Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders present and his teaching about, well, the Sabbath. Now, so I, I did a little bit of, a little bit of work. And now I cannot, what I'm about to say here cannot be placed as a dogmatic certainty. This is wild speculation. Absolutely wild speculation here because I don't know if I have anything of, 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 I don't know if I can find a specific source, but I did hear at least one individual who was trying to exegete this and explain it, say that sometimes dropsy was connected to greed. It was connected to greed because supposedly a person with dropsy would increase their thirst dramatically, right? And 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 as uh, and I did look up medically, uh, dropsy can sometimes cause increased thirst in individuals with, when excess fluid accumulates in the body's tissues. It can disrupt the normal fluid balance, leading to dehydration. The body may respond to this de- dehydration by increasing thirst as a way to encourage drinking fluids and and to restore hydration levels. So it does seem medically that this is true. So some are like. The people with dropsy would be the ones that they seem greedy because they're like, drink, drink, give me something else to drink, drink, drink. Like they were greedy and they, they needed more, 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 more. And the argument some make is that Jesus specifically chose someone with dropsy because he's ultimately going to try to make a point, which comes right after he's done dealing with the subject of the Sabbath. He's going to talk about the Pharisees and their scribes. It seems that they are greedy or needy of well, being in a position of honor. Now, I don't know if that works, but some people believe that. All right. Now, this is also important to note, again, doing a little bit of research, that increased thirst is not a universal symptom of dropsy. The specific symptoms experienced can vary depending on the underlying cause of the condition and the individual's overall health. Often common symptoms of dropsy include swelling in the legs, ankles, or other parts of the body, weight gain, shortness of breath, and fatigue. So you can't just say drop the people with dropsy always 
were thirsty. So I don't know if there's a spiritual significance to it. I don't know if it has any spiritual significance or or Jesus just said, hey, here's someone with a medical issue and he knows exactly what he's getting ready to do because look at exactly what happens. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now, it seems that Jesus is clearly instigating this. Once again, he's at a mill. It seems that the, that now what, what he's there maybe to show love and compassion and mercy, but he's going to use the opportunity. He's going to use the opportunity that, that as, that presents itself as a way to deal with deeper spiritual issues. So he's like, all right, guys, you're all watching me. I got a question for you. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Yes or no? Can we do this? Is it allowed? Now look at verse four. And they held their peace. Now, why do you think they, why, why do you think they're just ooh, quiet? Because maybe they feel trapped. Maybe they feel trapped. Maybe if they say, well, yes, it is okay. Then they call into question maybe all the rules that they've placed in place in the first place. And so then they look foolish. If they say it's not, then maybe then Jesus then can call them out and saying, no, you're adding to the word of God. So maybe they feel trapped here. Maybe, Maybe they feel completely trapped. It is important to note that this is, this is according to one source, that when healing on the Sabbath, Jesus was not violating the law of God when he healed on the Sabbath. He was surely acting um, against the, uh, the pharisaical interpretation of the law and against their particular rules. All right. So it says uh, J- Jesus was not actually violating a rule that they just added. They had added so many rules and there were plenty of rules that they had added. All right. Uh, for example, if if you look at the, the the law in question, okay, the Pharisees had also added their traditions to the law God had given. The religious leaders' traditions that they combined with biblical law became important to them as God's actual word. Uh, the Pharisees' Sabbath restrictions forbade the following activities: writing, erasing, tearing, conducting business transactions, shopping, cooking, baking, or kindling a fire, gardening, doing laundry, carrying anything for more than six feet in a public area, moving anything with your hand, even indirectly with a broom, um, a broken bowl, uh, a broken bowl, flowers on a vase, candles on a table, raw food, a rock. I mean, there was just so many things. I mean, there was a long list of all the things that you couldn't do this, you couldn't move this, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, you couldn't do this. But all of that were really rules they added and what they felt was to protect you from actually breaking the law. So by saying, hey, can I do this? Well, they probably know, well, maybe not according to their rules, but, and and this was going to put them in 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 a, a difficult place. Or maybe, 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 maybe they didn't answer. They didn't answer. Because they just wanted to see what Jesus would do, hoping he would do something incorrectly. And basically, he would trap himself. Sometimes the best thing to do is just be quiet, right? 
Like sometimes like you don't need to say anything. People will do enough to themselves. Is that, is that their plan here? But we know what Jesus does. And he answered them saying, all right, um, well, look, let's look at verse four. And they held their peace and he took him and healed him and let him go. Now, most likely this person. Now, we don't know exactly how this person ends up in the mill. Now, we do know that in that culture, sometimes a lot uh, there would be the mill. And if someone famous was invited to the mill, a lot of times a lot of people would come and watch. They would watch the meal because they were interested in the conversation, which seems to indicate Jesus having these kind of conversations would have been pretty uh, the norm and that kind of setting that he was probably going with a cultural norm because deep conversations were maybe more common at meals than maybe in our culture, right? But people would come and watch. It was almost like a spectator sport. So most likely either this person just came, maybe someone brought him, maybe Maybe the Pharisees, now there's speculation in some commentaries that the Pharisees invited this man knowing exactly what Jesus was going to do. Knowing that Jesus would not be able to to just ignore it, that he would do something. Who knows how the man got there, but obviously Jesus sends him away. He's not part of the actual group having the mill. He's one of the spectators. So if someone invited him, if he just shows up, Jesus uses it. He heals the man and then sends him away. Oh, you're good to go. And the man goes. And then Jesus does this. Which of you should have an ass or an ox fall into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Hey, is it right for me to heal this man? Everyone's going to be quiet. Everyone's going to be quiet. Everyone's going to be quiet. No one's going to speak. Heals the man. And then he looks at them like, hey, which of you? If what, if, if in other words, a piece of property, really, those, an, the animals at that time would have been like property to them. If you had an ass or an ox fall into a pit, would you not pull him out on the Sabbath day? Would you be like, oh, oh, no, just leave it, leave it, leave it. We can't do anything. It's the Sabbath day. Or would they immediately reach down and help the animal? Now, would they be helping the animal out of compassion? Or would they be doing it for their own selfish material reasons, their own material gain? Not to lose an important animal that could be, that was very important for them in their culture. So is Jesus immediately demonstrating that you care more about yourself, you care more about your own material good than you do uh, human beings who are suffering? Is he once again calling out their own hypocrisy? Is he calling out their hypocrisy or is Jesus calling out the fact that they themselves are not consistent with the very rules that they have instituted. What do you think is happening here? Now, again, today's focus, I'm trying to just present these things to you. What what do you think is occurring? Is he challenging their overall understanding of the Sabbath? See, is Jesus challenging their rules? Is he challenging 
their selfishness or is Jesus really trying to make a bigger point here about the Sabbath? Or, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of speculation here. The text, see, the text doesn't offer us any interpretation because immediately in verse seven, he's now going to go to the second part of his, you know, point that he wants to make during this meal. So the, the problem is the text leaves us with like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I wish the text would tell me. So I don't know if this is just Jesus going after their own hypocrisy, their own selfishness, their own foolishness of their own rules, or is Jesus trying to make a, a, a deeper spiritual point that under the law, People will suffer and no one can truly be healed under the law. But Christ has come and he, well, fulfills the law and saves people from its burden of it. Is Jesus trying to come to show that he, he provides the ultimate Sabbath rest? Is this a deeper, is there something deeper going on here? I don't know if I've got it quite figured out yet. Part of me wants to look for the deeper, right? Because, oh, there's some possible beautiful pictures here about the law and, and how it won't save anyone, but Jesus fulfills the law and saves people from it. Jesus understands what the Sabbath was for and, and Jesus is ultimately, and Christ is our Sabbath, re Sabbath rest and we can rest from the law and the burden of the law and Christ. There are some of these deeper spiritual pictures, but I just don't know if that's the text or is it simply just saying, you guys care more about yourself. You guys care more about your rules. You guys care more about your own material possessions than you do human beings suffering. They couldn't answer. They, they, they were silenced in front of this. What do you think is the ultimate lesson in the fact that Jesus keeps eating with the Pharisees? And what do you think is the ultimate lesson, maybe that he chose a man with dropsy? Do you think there's, that was just random or do you think there's a picture there? And what do you think is the ultimate lesson and how Jesus uh, confronts them here? I want to say much more, but I don't. But just remember, there are two. You have the story here about the healing on the Sabbath. And the second issue that shows up in this story you have the thing about where to sit. And then maybe we have a third. I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to speculate. I want you to look at it. I want you to look at it. I want you to look at it. There's a lot going on here. It's an interesting passage, but there you have it. There's much more I want to do, but remember it's supposed to be 15 minutes. We've gone 47 minutes. I just want you to just realize that a passage like this, there's a lot going on. And I want you to really focus on it and try to get as much from it because I'm still processing it.
I, I wish I had some dramatic conclusion, but I don't. Other than I'm setting Luke 14 in front of you, and I want you to spend time meditating on it, but I would love to get your thoughts as you work on it. You can email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Your today's focus, Luke chapter 14, really still verses 1 through 6, but if you want to expand it, verses 1 through 11. All right? Hopefully, hopefully you will read it many times today. You will meditate on it. And I hope that God will bless you as you spend time meditating on this very interesting passage, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. May you spend the time with it. May you benefit from it. And I would love to hear your thoughts about it. May God bless you.